This is CX of M Radio, the voice of customer experience professionals. Welcome to another episode of Press One for Nick. Your host, Nick Limsdahl, is the Director of Contact Center Solutions at VDS. Through conversations with customer service and customer experience leaders, Nick and his guests exchange insightful stories, best practices, and invaluable lessons they have learned along the way. Welcome to the Press One for Nick podcast. My name is Nick Wimsdell, and my guest this week is Elizabeth Dixon. Elizabeth is a keynote speaker, but she's not just a keynote speaker. Elizabeth is a winsome business leader and serial entrepreneur who connects with executives and their teams, integrating strategy, innovation, leadership, personal development, and speeches that ignite conversations and inspire purposeful action. She's been almost 20 years at Chick-fil-A, and now she has a new venture, which we'll maybe talk about here in a little bit. But first, Elizabeth, welcome to the Press One for Nick podcast. Thank you so much. I'm really excited to be here. I'm equally ex- is excited. So let's get started. The first question I ask every single guest at the very beginning is, what's one thing people might not know about you? So Nick, I used to be an avid cyclist and it happened. It was kind of funny. I thought everybody was obsessed with uh, cycling in their mind. And I noticed one day I was sitting at a Starbucks in Vinings, kind of north of Atlanta, and a whole pack of cyclists came by and nobody else paid them attention, but I couldn't stop looking until they passed. And I realized that it was something I needed to try. So I went to the bike store. I bought a bike. I asked them how fast I needed to go to ride with the group on Monday because they had a group ride. And they said, you know, 20, I forget what it was. It was like average 16 miles an hour for 20 miles. And I said, okay. So I went out, I did a test ride. I hit that, but I didn't realize that the test ride I did was extremely flat. It was one of those (laughs) old railroad tracks, now a sidewalk situation. And so I showed up on Monday ready to go and um, I got my butt kicked, (laughs) but I was inspired and I became a cyclist for a number of years and I used to ride with the with the big boys in Atlanta. I would just try to tuck in second or third in line behind them, catch a draft off of them. But um, I used to be a big cyclist and loved it. That's amazing. So short mini story is I ran cross-country and track in, in undergrad. And then I transitioned to cycling and I coached cycling in my master's. And people are like, well, how the heck did you do that? Well, I started going around and I was going to try to give a grad internship or um, for running and and there was just didn't work out. And I saw a cycling program in Lindenwood University in St. Louis, Missouri. And I shot a message out and saying, Hey, I don't, I know there's not a post, but you know, I'd love to love to make this work. And the guy's like, well, what's your experience? And I go, well, I've been cycling for a little bit. I can get the USA cycling certification if you want. Like you tell me what you need. And the guy's like, awesome. I've been a bike cop for three months. Let's do this. And so we created a cycling program. I got into cycling. I got the short shorts and the tan lines and the high socks. I got, I got the gear. I wasn't very good, but I was decent at bringing the right people to do, to do that. Now they're, I think like a top five uh, cycling program in the, in the nation right now. So uh, yeah. Awesome. You never know. You never know until you ask. So I yeah. love that so much. But but third in line is the best place to be because then you're just tucking and, and running. There's no draft. There's no no push. You're you're, you're doing the, the the chicken wing to get the person to go around you. Yeah, I love it. This isn't a this isn't a podcast about cycling. So the podcast today, this episode, 
is to talk about first off you, but then also this amazing book, The Power of Customer Experience, Five Elements to Make an Impact. Awesome book. I love the stories. I love how just, I love your writing approach. Honestly, like it's just, it's real and it feels like a human being. I think all humans write books, but it feels like a human wrote the book. It feels like you had, it's just an honest conversation about you and the stories that you're involved. So all my listeners go out, hit pause, uh, go out and buy this book and then come back and hit play again. But from your perspective, it's the power of customer experience is the book. So what is from your perspective, the power of customer experience? And if I had to take it down to one word, it would be impact. And when we show up and when we create a, create a great experience for our customer, whether our customer is in our, our home, like it's our own family, it's our friends that come into our home, our customer is truly that person who's paying for a good or a service at our business or the business that we work for, or it's a nonprofit and it's a client we're serving or a recipient we're serving, whatever it is, when we choose to show up and we create a great exp- experience for the person on the other side of us, we create impact. And here's what's so cool, Nick. We create impact on them in a positive way. And at the same time, we're creating a positive impact for ourselves. I remember one time a friend who actually, he was a Chick-fil-A operator. I said, there's hard days, aren't there? And he said, for sure, there are hard days. I said, well, what do you do in the restaurant on those hard days? And he said, the immediate thing I do is I go and I serve a customer in the dining room. And I said, well, why? Like, why is that? And he said, the act of showing kindness to someone else restores that feeling in myself. It gives me hope. And so I think what's really powerful about it is when we understand that the way we're treating the person on the other side of us has the power to impact their lives and it has the power to impact our life then that truly is the, that's the secret behind it and the power of it. I love that perspective because when you go out, at least from my perspective, when I go out and I volunteer and I go help people sandbag or I go help serve meals, it's not just the impact that I'm providing them, but how that makes me feel and how it gives me a different perspective when I do that. And I love that that parallel because it's all about serving people in that process? And then what's your mindset when you're actually serving? Are you doing it just to say, hey, let me take a quick picture with the customer. Let me take a quick picture with the people that I'm serving while I'm doing sandbags. Or is it because, you know what, it's 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 the right thing to do and it's to hear them out. It's to maybe provide empathy in the moment. I love that. So let's say that somebody doesn't, let's say that somebody doesn't provide customer experience. Uh, you were talking about impact. So what it's, what's the impact Uh, the reverse impact if you don't focus on the experience? It can be detrimental. I mean, truly, when we don't choose to show up and create a customer, a great experience, I mean, even, even an average one, think about the person that when you're around them, they're kind of like, meh, I could be here with you or not, whether just in a friendship, the the lost opportunity is certainly there. But then when you take it to like a negative experience, that's where it really gets detrimental. So that's how I'd say it. It's either a lost opportunity, a missed opportunity, or it becomes detrimental. And when I say detrimental, this is what I mean. I think we all have those moments where we have been a consumer of a brand And the person on the other side of us, the employee of that brand is having a bad day. We all have bad days. 
and they choose to let it show and flow onto us. Today, consumers today are more willing to abandon a brand because of that one bad experience than ever before. I was just talking with someone two days ago. He said, I went into this particular store. I could not find anybody to help me. When I finally did, they were not helpful and they were rude to me. I will never go back. And I said, like that location? No. I will never go back to that brand. And there's enough competitors out there that are with open arms saying, oh, you just come right on into our doors. We are happy to serve you. And what's scary for us as brands, as strategy leaders, as individuals who are designing the experience for what it ideally is to be, is that the experience is made or broken at the front lines. And that was the entire reason why I wanted to write the book, is that if our front lines don't know the power that they hold, both for themselves and for the impact to the person on the other side of them, our brands will be limited. We'll never be able to create the experiences that we want to ultimately create. So it gets detrimental if we don't, because consumers will leave. And we'll never get to that place of loyalty that businesses need in order to thrive within their industry. And that's what gets really scary to me. So it's tough because you can build the the absolute perfect experience on paper. Yes. And you're like, listen, it's going to be the amazing experience. They're going to they're going to treat you amazing. They're going to they're going to guide you through this journey. They're going to inform you. They're going to communicate. And all of a sudden, you hit this one person who has one bad day. And they're bringing their life to work, which is everybody does. Yeah. And you get that person and that just makes them feel awful. And that's scary from a company's perspective because it's one person can ruin that, that experience for, for, and that customer lifetime value now stops. The drain is closed because they no longer are willing to, to stay with that company. So what you can teach, right, is is the behavior. So what are the behaviors that create the culture at work? So it depends upon the organization, the industry, the business for exactly what that's going to look like. And that's what becomes really important to be able to break it down of, okay, we've got the product, like the product has to be good. The product has to be meeting the needs and expectations of the customer. The process to be able to get that product, it needs to be seamless. You don't need to sign in three times. Okay, Nick, yesterday I was on the phone with a phone carrier. We spend 30 minutes with one person. Oh, I'm so sorry, Miss Dixon, we're going to have to transfer you. First thing I ask, Will you be telling the next person I talk to about what we just spent 30 minutes going through? Oh, of course, of course. Transfer. Hi, thanks for calling blank. Can you uh, tell me what, what your problem is? And you relive the entire thing again. If the process is bulky and you end up spending an hour on the phone to solve one small thing, that's not good. So the product has to be good. The process has to be good. The place, whether that's a digital space, whether that is an actual physical bricks and mortar space, 
the place has to be good and make sense. And then the people showing up. And so those first three, we can have a lot of control. And then the people side of how we show up, how we bring that experience to life, it can really be dependent on the industry and what the customer is going to expect, what they're going to want, what they're going to need in the future for what those behaviors need to be for how we how we need to show up. And the other thing is, is that all of this is continually evolving. So not to add more pressure to us all, but what's working today is probably not going to be what's going to work a year from now, maybe even a month from now. There's some basics that I believe from a human perspective will we'll transcend, um, like eye contact. I think we're always going to want people to look each other in the eyes. That might be a behavior that transcends, but the nuances of the behaviors continually evolving and changing, and we have to stay up with it. In a competitive market, does your customer service stand out from the crowd? One way to offer a better experience is by moving your contact center to the cloud. But with so many options to choose from, how do you know which solution is the best for both your business and your customers? That's where VDS comes in and guides you to the best solution. They understand your clients' pain points, business outcomes, and goals. Then VDS designs, implements, supports, and provides 24-7 managed services. From start to finish, VDS is committed to finding the best solutions for your clients' needs. To learn more, go to www.govds.com or find a link in the show notes. Uh, I would agree wholeheartedly. Um, as a consumer, when you go from that representative, that person who's collecting your information, hearing you're out because your internet went out and you're trying to gather this information, what's your account number, your mom's maiden name, the street you grew up on, and then you go to that, oh, actually, I'm not the qualified person. Let me trans- transition you to that second person. You're like, no. but what I want to get to is how does that make you feel as a consumer? Unheard. Yeah. Completely unheard. Like, and you, you literally, I don't want this to sound fancy, but you just wasted my life. Like moments that I would have loved to put towards my kids, towards going on a walk, towards my work that now I need to be doing later tonight. You took that time. And you didn't even hear me. And it's just interesting as a consumer population, we don't have a lot of appetite for that anymore, but there's still a good amount of it that's happening that I don't know for sure do all brands recognize the limiting factor that it's providing, that if if that shifted, if the process was seamless, if people felt heard, it would unlock for that brand so much greater potential. And I think the the addition too is when that happens to the individual, we tell people, like we talk about it. We tell people when we don't have a good experience and that has an impact on the other people who are hearing that. And it will, it will sway decisions for where people choose to go and spend their money. So we always have to remember that the experience is one of the best marketing pieces that we can ever do, uh, or it can be one of the worst ones if we don't do it well. Yeah. The scary part, part from a, a, can, a company's perspective is that somebody might not ever do business with you because of how you made somebody else feel. And that is, it's scary because you never got that opportunity, but you got the opportunity to solve that person that they they knew and that 
that expands that customer lifetime value yes. or it, or it doesn't. Or it doesn't. And the question I have for you is you want to feel known and valued. You want to feel like you are respected. You want to feel like you appreciate your time because that's something you can't get back. Hmm. So when it comes to knowing that customer, where do you begin? Where does a company start? Hmm. So we've got to listen well. We have to have the ability to listen. So what are those channels that consumers are using to share feedback with us? I shared with a company the other day as a consumer, I received something in the mail and I thought they should know how this showed up. I don't know if they had full control over this, but they should know how this showed up. Actually, it was two different things. One was some food that needed to be frozen and um, it was not frozen when it arrived. The other was an article of clothing that was super wrinkly. And I thought, man, I think these companies need to know. Company A, frozen food company, I reached out to within one hour, I had a response, empathetic response. We are so sorry. Like that is not up to our standards. We see that it arrived a day late. We apologize about that as well. We would like to actually comped my entire order. And I was like, whoa, I, I replied. I was like, no, 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 like you don't need to do that. I just wanted to let y'all know because I knew probably within the whole supply chain process, they weren't responsible for that and they probably didn't know about it. So I wanted them to know and they were so responsive. Company B, I still haven't heard from. And it's a subscription company. Both of them were. And so it's kind of like, huh, I feel for sure that I'm going to be heard and seen by the first company because they responded right back when I reached out. But the second company still has yet to reply. And I think, man, it, it doesn't feel personal. It doesn't feel human. And if something really was wrong, then what would happen then? And so we have to be able to have those channels to listen and we have to use them. So make sure that they exist and make sure we're using them. A friend told me, um, it was like a year ago. He said, you know, when you have a social media channel and a consumer reaches out and gives you feedback and you don't answer, it's as cold as being in person and talking to someone who turns their back on you and walks away. It doesn't feel like that when it's digital because you can shut it down and close it up and turn it off and log out of it. But from the consumer standpoint, they just as much reached out to you. And, and if you don't respond, that's really scary. So we have to listen. We have to make sure that we're responding. And then we got to do something with what we're hearing. And so the things that I like to think about when we're listening are what is our, who is our customer? Like really defining who that target customer is. We can't serve everybody. Like, honestly, if you're not making someone upset now and again, like it's, you're probably trying to serve too many people, like pick who it is that you're serving. And then what is it that your customer needs? What is it that your customer wants? What are the things that they're going to want next? We got to be forward facing. What do they want in the future? How do we prepare for that? And then knowing what is our role in all of those? Certainly what consumers want and need and what they want next. One brand can't do everything for that group. But what is our role in that? What is our role to play? Um, and making sure that we can show up for them in a way that we're listening, 
we're responding and we're doing something with what they're telling us. And those buckets are helpful to know, like, what is it that they, they need and want? And I, I forgot to mention they value, like they need and want, what do they value in life? Consumers value convenience. They value their time. And so that causes us to shift how we're going to show up and how we're going to design things because of what they value and then what they want next. And, and certainly how we can, how we can show up and serve in those spaces. It's interesting that two options you gave, both are subscriptions. As a subscription company, you should be more personalized. You should double down on personalization because they have the opportunity to shut you off at any time. Yes. And the one thing that the one good one did, and I think it was the, was it the food one that actually provided the the good experience? Yeah. Was that they provided empathy. Yes. And they heard you and and it was it's uh one way that i always like to see it is they acknowledged where you're at they yeah. understood where you're at and then they resolved the problem yeah they didn't immediately apologize and then say here's what i'm going to do because this is what i'm always going to do they're not focused on their average handle time because they're looking at their clock and it's going red it's saying i i know that you need time and i'm here for you yes so from a customer experience Experience, what role does empathy play in that? Oh, it's critical. The definition I love for empathy is the ability to understand and share the feelings of another. And when we do that with anybody in our families, in our work, with coworkers, with our friends, when we can have the ability to understand and share the feelings of another, we don't have to wear the feelings of another. And I think that's really important. We don't need to wear the feelings of another and let it bring us down. We need to be able to, to share them, to understand them, and then respond accordingly. And when we do that, when we're serving customers, empathy becomes a superpower. The ability to understand those feelings gives us that opportunity to serve them intentionally. And one of my favorite stories from the Ritz-Carlton, Hort Schultze, who founded the Ritz-Carlton I was very honored about five years ago, he mentored me for a year and I learned so much in that year. And one of the things that the Ritz Carlton has historically done is they give their employees a very high ceiling for how much they can spend on every customer to make things right. It's historically been $2,000 per guest per day. And I asked for, I said, wow, that's a lot of money. You know, how much, how many times did people go over that? He said, never. He said, never did anybody spend $2,005, like 800 some was the most that was ever spent. I said, what happened? You know, $800, that's a lot to spend on one customer. He said that a couple was on their honeymoon and at dinner, they were, they were sobbing and the waiter or waitress inquired and said, like, what's, you know, what's going on? And they shared that the husband had lost his wedding band in the sand and was devastated. And that night, that team went out and bought two new metal detectors in addition to the ones that they had, scoured the beach, found the ring, and presented it to the couple the next morning at breakfast. You have to have empathy to go there and go, the feelings that you would have to be on your honeymoon celebrating this huge milestone in life of love and commitment and the one symbol that you exchanged in front of all those people gets lost in the sand. Does that mean your marriage is, is you know, doomed? No, 
But is that so disappointing? The ring that you picked out together that you would have for the rest of your life. And so for some who don't choose to have that level of empathy, like, oh, bummer. Sorry about that. Did you want dessert tonight? Or how about coffee? Can I upsell you? Like, no, but they said, no, no, no. We want to do something about this because I could relate to what the feeling of disappointment would be. And I want to help make this right for somebody. So empathy is central. And when we can do that, when we can understand the feelings of another without wearing the feelings of another, then we're able to serve them intentionally. And we can do it in a way that doesn't necessarily you know, bring us down in the moment. Yeah, I, I love that story. I'm actually going to be interviewing Horace in September and and uh, looking forward to that as well. So having being a mentor mentee program for that year had had to been so valuable. And uh, I love the story of of the wedding rings and in it with the Ritz Carlton, it gave them the ability to empower those people so that they didn't have to say, hey, what do I do next? Or, hey, can we do this? You're saving time. You're driving efficiencies that way from internally but you're also driving such a better experience saying, you know what, here's what I can do. I'm going to go outside of, of my comfort zone and start solving a problem. I'm not an expert at scouring the sand, searching for metal detectors. I'm reading the manuals. I'm trying to figure this thing out, yes. but you find it. And then how does that make you feel? Because now you're like, I need to start looking and listening to my other customers and how I can help them. This was an amazing yes. experience. And now I'm going to do something about it. Yes. That, that is so fun. Like, how cool is that, that you get that opportunity? Like if I was in senior leadership at the Ritz-Carlton, I'd be like, where can I spend this $2,000 and how can I have fun doing it? Yes. And how many brands don't have that mindset? And employees can so often get stuck behind a process that limits them and prevents them from being able to show up in that way. And so we've got to make sure that we've got the right people who are bringing it to life, who want to take advantage of that moment, maximize that moment. And we also have to make sure that we have the leadership that had for same wisdom and, and thought to say, we need to make sure that everyone knows that that's okay. No one will be penalized. Why are you out on the beach tonight? Like, why did you go buy these metal detectors? That will shut it down immediately. Yeah. We've got to celebrate those things and make sure that everyone knows that they can they can go there. They can go the extra mile for people. That's so cool. I'm, I'm going to ask for a metal detector um, <laughs> after this uh, recording. It's going to get awkward. Um, so one question I had for you, because what what with the, the risk, Carlton, they are solving problems. Yeah. They are listening to the customer. They're doing what's right. One thing that is is in the book, and it has nothing to do with customer experience, but it's something that you guys do at your dinner table. And it's the question, could you solve me a problem? Yes. Tell me how that gets started. Like, did you, did you just, one of your kids were like, hey, could you solve me a problem? You're like, well, that's not how you say it, but yeah, tell me what your question is. And like, give me the, give me the rundown, because I think this is awesome, and I'm going to incorporate it. So we do some funny things at home. Uh, some hopefully will end up working. Um, one of which is that we always have uh, harder conversations around ice cream. So we call a family meeting and every family meeting has to have ice cream or whatever treat somebody wants. Um, my son told me the other day he doesn't like ice cream anymore, which I was like, this is sad. But Anyway, so he can have a cookie and we'll have ice cream, but we have the hard conversations around something that would be fun. Well, this other little quirky thing we do 
is that my husband, John, and I both are ones that we always say we're raising adults. We're not raising children. We're raising adults. We want them to be um, great contributors to society and get to do great things with their life, whatever, whatever that is that the Lord has planned. So one of the things that we do is this game. And honestly, I don't know quite where it came from. Nick, it probably came from one of those moments where you're like, as a parent, like, whip something out of your back pocket to keep everybody from fighting with each other or complaining. It probably came from that. But what we do now is in one of those moments, we're probably driving in the car and it's like, come up with a game. It is, you know, can you help me solve a problem? So the first person who's kind of it gets to position a problem. And the more wacky and audacious the problem, the better. So one that my daughter said at a time was like, okay, can you help me solve this problem? I'm stuck on a cloud, surrounded by Skittles. You can't get down with a rope or a ladder and you have to get down within five minutes. What do you do? And then everybody starts just building on these ideas. It's an innovation exercise is what it is. It's teaching them the power of and, like, and you could do this and you could do this and you can do this. It's not diminishing from one another, but it's building on each other to get to a better solution. And um, I kind of think our whole country could benefit from playing this game every now and again, but it teaches them that when we build on each other's ideas, we get to a better place. And so you get to say like, oh, you could um, hot air balloon down, or you could parachute down, or you could have a massive trampoline that you jump from the cloud down, or you could stick all the Skittles together and then you know, slide down, you can come up with all these ideas. And the last person who shares an idea wins and becomes it for the next problem. So honestly, as we talk about it, I think it came from one of those long car rides, where as a parent, you're kind of trying to come up with something fun to do, but it's stuck and we have a lot of fun playing it. That is amazing. So the one question I had for you, can you kind of set it as a, as a broad statement where the, the country could really use this, but how does an organization or should an organization implement something like this internally? And maybe it's just a brain exercise where they're starting to get creative internally before they actually solve the corporate exercise. Maybe that's a an option, but is there any advice that you would give the, could you solve me a problem? Oh, that's so good. I mean, taking this specific one or any of the great different innovation exercises, I think what you said of warming up with them before jumping into the bigger thing. So it's kind of like the ice cream for the family meeting. Like we're really there for the big topic, but the ice cream makes it fun. Playing a game and, and making it fun, I think is really important. The other thing I think is that there's always someone, I've been it before, we've all probably been it before, where we are the wet blanket, we're going to diminish like, but that's going to cost money, but we tried that, but that's going to take time. And when you're in those meetings where you're trying to build to the best conclusion to move to the best solution, there's no room for that. Like all of it might be a hundred percent true, but that's not what we're talking about. And so I think having a code word to be able to say like, all right, unicorn, let's play a game. We're going to play a game. Can you help me solve a problem? And helping everybody come back to that space of, yes, it's hard to innovate. It's hard to dream of a preferred future because it's going to mean change and risk and expense and time. But if we have a code word or something and we have a game that we can play to make it fun that pulls everybody back and says, okay, 
Let's play this little game. And remember, there's no such thing as a bad idea. And then we're going to go back to the problem at hand. I think that helps groups be able to be as productive as possible while still caring for each other and having empathy for the person in the room who maybe they're the one to take all the work at the end of the meeting and they are drowning and they feel like they're suffocating, like making sure that we have empathy for them and balancing it with, and we need to get to a better solution for the organization. Uh, playing a little silly game like that can help um, break the ice. It's very cool. I appreciate that perspective. So I, I did a little sneak peek at the beginning where I said you have almost worked at twenty for 20 years at Chick-fil-A. And then just randomly you post this thing today, happenstance, where there's this new thing, what's going on and, and what's the update and what's next for Elizabeth Dixon? So uh, April, our chairman now, so Dan Cathy passed over the CEO role in November of last year to his son, Andrew, who's doing an incredible job. And uh, Dan took over the chairman of Chick-fil-A seat. And he has his fun ventures outside of that. And one of those is a large currently second largest movie studios in the country and then paired next to a town of currently a thousand residents. It'll probably grow to be about 3,500 residents. And he reached out in April and he said, Elizabeth, I want you to think about coming to work for me. And so we talked for a few weeks and figured out what that could look like. And Monday is technically my official, official day of saying Chick-fil-A, this has been so much fun. I am so grateful and thankful, just abundantly thankful for the people, for the opportunities for that season and staying within the broader Kathy family enterprises and then shifting over to support Dan at Trillith. And my role will be to stand up a foundation. And right now, the way we're thinking about it is that this foundation will um, it will truly exist to enrich the lives of the creators and makers who inspire the world. So whether that's entrepreneurship, whether that is writing the next movie, whether that's producing a movie or a musician, the creativity that's required in that is needed in our world. And so we want to focus on life and community enrichment that helps people truly be their best so that they can uh, make their best invention, write their best story, build their best business so that ultimately the world gets inspired by that. Sounds like such a fun opportunity and experience and looking forward to what that will, will do for for the community and for the uh, organization as a whole. And it seems like that is a, a challenge worth accepting. So best of luck for you. And, and I wish you nothing but uh, the best for that. What's the best way for my listeners to, to find your book uh, and or connect with you? Well, wonderful. I would love that. So my website is elizabethdixonspeaks.com. And on there, there's a link to the book. You can purchase it off Amazon. There's the Kindle version and the paperback and hardback. And then also on the website, there's some fun videos to make a book club. Horst actually does the introduction and he let me film it in his home office, which was such a huge honor. And so there's a series of seven videos to help groups go through the book and create a book club experience. And here's why that's important. Important, is that like any book, the information in it is great, but where it really comes to life is when we as individuals start talking about it, thinking about it. Oh, well, what if we did this? Building upon it. 
And so when groups can come together in circles and start talking about it, I think that's where the magic for organizations can really come to life. So both of those are there. And then social media, LinkedIn backslash Elizabeth Dixon Speaks. And then Instagram is at Elizabeth Dixon Speaks. Very cool. Thank you so much for your time and uh, looking forward to keeping tabs on you and uh, watching the success you continue to have. Thank you so much. This has been fun, Nick. Hey, listeners, can you think of one person who would benefit from the information you learned today? If so, please consider sharing this episode with them. And last, if you would like to receive all the quotes and book recommendations from all my guests, you can go to pressonefornick.com forward slash podcast. Thank you for listening to this episode of Press One for Nick. If you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe and share. Until next time, focus on your customers. Thanks for joining us for this session of CX of M Radio. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit cxofm.org for more resources.